Welcome back to another episode of Sweat and Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, DFB Encounter. You can follow me on Twitter at DFB Encounter. It's very, very peculiar. How do you how you would tie one to the other? And with me, as always, is Jacob Sanderson at Jacob Sanderson. Also, a very, very just it's so difficult to get from name to Twitter handle with both of us. So uh good luck. Anyways, we're back. It's another episode. We're excited to be here. We're talking first. First, Jacob, how are you? Let, let, let me let me go back. I am so I'm so rude. How are you doing tonight, Jacob? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, okay, good. No, 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 we're not enjoying the off season. You're good. <laughs> I'm doing well, to be grammatically correct. Oh, very. That's excellent news. Excellent news. Yeah. Um, what do you want to talk about? Well, first of all, why don't we just why don't we talk quickly? Um, congrats, by the way, you picked the correct member of the Super Bowl. Uh, so the Chiefs took it home in a game. So good, good win for you there. <laughs> That's right. Um, I did get that right. And you didn't get them, right? I did you not get, get that right. I picked the Eagles. You were, but, you were looking around at all the players on the field and you were like, yeah, I'm not going to pick Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was an anti-Mahomes stake for sure. Um, what do you think? Where do you land on the debate of, uh, like, do you think in fourth quarter, game on the line, like, are you one of those people that you think the refs should just be calling everything by the book? Or do you think they should keep their flags in their pocket? Because this this is like the the debate, you know, that everybody's talking about coming out of it. Or, or there's the morons who are just pretending that he didn't hold them. But those people are deranged. Um, the real question is, like, should should we ref games differently at the very end of games or not? I think this says oh, a yeah, lot about who you are as a human. I, I knew you were going to say that. And it's the wrong take. I disagree. I think you it's, should absolutely It's the that. right take. The no, rules are the take. fucking rules. You would have that take. That would Don't be your take. You are such a rule follower. You are such a rules guy. Yeah, of course. You just love rules. Yeah, it's my thing. You're, you're a Canadian. Don't you like – have you ever watched playoff hockey? Have you ever seen a penalty in your life? Of course I've watched the, Ro- the Royal Canadian Mounted Police would have to come onto the ice and arrest someone for a felony before they would get two minutes for boarding. <laughs> That's a good point. The uh, Like it's just – if you, if you don't call that, then everyone's mad that Juju Smith-Schuster got ho- held and didn't get a call. No, nobody would be mad about that. Everyone would be mad no one would be mad about that. Chiefs Nation would be mad. Yeah, Travis course, Kelsey Chiefs, would be up on the podium. Because they would have won anyway. And they would have won anyway. Travis Kelsey had been up there. I've been like, not only did everyone say that we were the worst, we weren't going to make the playoffs, but also then we also had to play the refs. We had to beat the refs. They were calling holding on Juju Smith-Schuster's excellent route that he ran, and and that Bradbury guy held him. Yeah, <laughs> root technician Juju Smith-Schuster. And uh, my, yeah, take, my take is simple. Was it a satisfying ending? Was that like a fun way for the football game to end, especially in the in the context of how awesome of a football game it was? No, it was terrible, but right, that's okay. not End the ref's story. fault. That's James right. Bradbury's fault. No, it, is, the fucking guy. It, is, it is the ref's fault. But here's the thing. Football is an entertainment product. That was not entertaining. It, it, the game should end in a fun way. And so Wait, they should, are, you, are you suggesting scripts? Football's an entertainment product? You get the fucking scripts yeah. out for everyone? No, I just think we should. I think that games should end in a way that is satisfying. And the way that you do that is not by calling holding penalties in the last play of the game. And so does that mean that the rules are going to be less enforced? I mean, the game is less pure. Yeah. Sue me. Sue me. That's okay. fine. What, what was more what dissatisfying, the fact that they called the hold that was actually a hold, or the yeah. fact that Jerick McKinnon kneeled at the one-yard line and took away all the drama? 
Uh, well, one of those two things, well, here's, here's the difference, right? Both of those things were just were unsatisfying. But one of those people, McKinnon, had a role to play, and his role was to try and help the Chiefs win. And he performed that role admirably. And the uh, ref's role Neil. was to call the fucking the game. Refs, the ref's to be called. The ref's role is, right, that's what, that's what they think their role is. And I'm saying that's a bad role. I'm saying their role should be managing the game in the way that's the most fun for the consumer. Hmm. So then the players are out there thinking, I wonder James, if this is going to be oh, That's another Survivor Russell Hans reference for, I'm sure, the viewers who got a lot out of it last time. Nobody nobody who listens to the show watches Survivor. But if you James don't call proud. if you this do not call the game, plays, this is an American aside. By the rule book, then the players don't know what the fuck's going on. They don't know what they that's can fine. and cannot do. That's fine. Chaos We're is a ladder, some have said. People getting mauled in the final two minutes because the refs put their flags away. We, oh, are you saying it's a slippery slope? It is a slippery slope. <laughs> All right. Uh, that was more than enough nonsense. What we're actually going to talk about today is we're going to talk about the year two wide receivers. So we talked about running backs last week. Uh, we're going to talk about wide receivers, uh, but it's going to take two episodes because we wanted to specifically get into the year two wide receivers because Drew has a sophomore comps process for wide receivers. So we wanted to talk about some of these wide receivers in a little bit more detail. And then next week, we're going to look to the veteran wide receivers, so the non-year two wide receivers. We're also going to talk about the idea of buying wide receivers on credit because that's been a common uh, point of discussion in the Discord. So that's all going to come up in the next episode. Today, we're specifically going to talk about year two wide receivers. And so we're going to go kind of by these clusters. So the first cluster, which is the wide receiver 7, wide receiver 11, and the wide receiver 14 in ADP. That's 301, 312, and 404 overall. We're talking about Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Drake London. So all of these guys all attracting quite a little bit. And we're not going to go through each wide receiver in year two individually, but we're going to talk about, I think, each of these three in a lot of detail because they are the most valuable ones. And so first, Drew, I'll just turn it over to you if you want to tease a little bit from your sophomore comps. And, and if you had to bet maybe first independent of cost, if you had to bet your life on any one of these guys, who would that be? And then maybe we'll talk a little bit about how we're handling each of these guys in the market. Sure. So like, yeah, I do sophomore comps, which is a pretty simple process. Actually, basically I take my prospect grade. I take the player's rookie year points per game. I take the, the rookie year PFF grade. And then I take into consideration their ADP trends. So that means did they face plant or not basically. And then you roll it all together and use a range, an upper and a like a, a min and max range on each of those uh, aspects. And when you do that, it gives you a reasonable range. Like these are the players that follow the same path, basically. So they've all taken the same journey to this point, And then we get to see what the other guys have done in their career, which I think tells us a little bit about what we can expect from the player in question. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. So anyway, Drake London is uh is the guy that I would uh what did you say lay my life down for no yeah, you would say bet your my life, life on bet your life bet on. my life on right yeah if you were if you were I don't know tied to a, a railway a train was coming in and the only way for the train to stop was for one of these guys to post a 20 point per game season at some point in their career you know who's doing that something like that yeah so it's Drake London and it, it's it's honestly, I don't. I wouldn't say. Why it's is it London? Easy. Why is it? Why is it Drizzy London for you? Because this is the market disagrees, right? This is the third of the three of in these in ADP. So, 
Yeah, so there's a few things that we look at. We've talked about this on the show before, but for those that are new to the show, uh, basically what I look at is when we're trying to find ceiling players, it's things like target share is obviously the most important aspect of, of ceiling. Then we have things like, uh, and this is kind of changing, like, but we we have, have a pro or I don't know, process an input we could say called prototype. So if it is a player large or small, is effectively what it comes down to. We've historically seen large players be better. I don't know that we're going to see that going forward though, because the draft has changed drastically in the past two or three years. We used to get like two non prototypes a year in like the top two rounds of the draft. Now we're getting like 80% of the players are non-prototypes. Like everything has changed. But what we can also still say is that the prototypes historically have done better than the non-prototypes in terms of hitting ceilings. And Drake London is an absolute prototype. Like he, he is a monster, an absolute monster. He, he's, he's huge and we like that. So anyway, when we look at Drake London's and, and then Drake London's rookie year, he had like what a 29% target share somewhere thereabouts. Uh, I don't have that up in front of me, but it was real, 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 yeah, real was, high. I believe it was the highest. 29%. Class. Yeah. It was the highest, highest target class, share in the right? classes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So the only thing, the only reason we can even buy Drake London right now is because of their stupid coach, uh, who's still there, unfortunately. But yeah, it won't and be. And highest target share per class and highest targets per run in the class as well. And honestly, his favorite stats. So. I don't have it up in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it might be the highest target share of a rookie that we have in my database, period. That I cannot speak to, but it was an extraordinarily high target share. I mean, it was all, it was one of the highest target shares in the league for any wide receiver. So he he, yeah, uh, he earned a, a million targets. I think the, I think, you know, I'll, so I'll play devil's advocate. I'm doing this um, not because I don't like Drake London. I, I do very much. Like um, so I'm also doing this for the sake of entertaining, uh, entertaining podcasting, but you know, why, why is Drake London not everybody's wide receiver one, especially considering that he had this massive target share. He enters the NFL uh, as the presumptive wide receiver one. He was typically, his ADP was one, two, one, three, ahead of Wilson Malave's. I mean, there's one very obvious reason, which is that he scored 10.5 fantasy points per game, which is considerably less than Garrett Wilson, than Chris Olave. It's even less than Christian Watson. It's less than John Dotson. Uh, so it was not extraordinarily helpful to anybody's fantasy team this year. Uh, it was also less efficient than those guys. He was under two yards per run compared to uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, who were lighting up the charts in that regard, again, behind Christian Watson in that regard. And, of course, you also got to look at, you know, we've talked about this before, valuing target share, but looking at it in some level of context, uh, he deals with Kyle Pitts for about half the season, maybe over, a little over half the season. And then towards the end of the year, which is when he's posting some of these, like, bonkers 40% target share games, I mean, we're talking, like, absolute stone nobodies at the other wide receiver position do you have any concerns that you know some of his volume i don't know if i would say it's less earned but the fact that a lot of his volume was coming in the confines of a really low volume passing offense with very other with less weapons do you see his volume as being a little bit less sustainable maybe than what some of the other wide receivers put up in this class and are you worried at all that he wasn't creating the same level of explosive plays that some of these other wide receivers were? I think the biggest thing there is that we're basically looking at Drake London and saying, is he going to grow in target share? We normally see year two tar target share growth. I doubt we're going to see year two target share growth. But we can probably actually see a lot of like fall in his target share, and he'll still be the most heavily 
targeted on a share percentage of the class next year. And to be clear, Hume is fifth in the NFL in target share. So we, we have no need for his target share to go up. What we need is yeah. is we need is that target share to actually translate to usable fantasy production. Yeah, basically what we need is the Atlanta Falcons to throw the football. That's really all the only thing that we need. Drake, so let me. I've, I just found it here. I, I looked it up because I was curious after I said that out loud. I was embarrassed. What if I was wrong? The highest rookie year target share is, in fact, not Drake London. That was a dirty lie. I apologize to everyone listening. Uh, he was actually second. The highest was 31.8% via Anquan Bolden, who went on to three top five seasons. The second highest, Drake London, naturally, at 29%. Odell Beckham Jr. came in in third with a 28.2%. He had two top five seasons. And Andre Johnson was fourth with a 27%. And he put up four top five seasons. So, like, it's great. Except for then then it gets scary. Then, then things get terrible after that. We have Kelvin Benjamin in fifth. But this is – we're cutting it off uh, at 26.91%. And, and that's – that's the cherry pick that we're going with because that only gives us those first four guys I mentioned. Uh, after that, it's like Kelvin Benjamin, Charles Rogers, Roy Williams, someone named Justin Jefferson, Mike Evans. Like it just gets rough after that. So, like, anyways, the, the moral of the story is that Drake London was a freaking monster. And of the guys in his class, like it's really not that close. I think uh I think the only one that was really close was Chris Olave, who had about 20. He's up around 26%. 26%, I think. So we, he yeah. was still like three percentage points off, which doesn't sound like that much, but that's like quite a lot. When we're talking about 26 to 29, that's different tiers. Uh, so anyways. Yeah, he was 26% target share, 25% targets per run. I mean, still fantastic elite. Yeah, for really good. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, I think with Alave, I mean, the difference really is... I, I'm, Garrett Wilson, depending on what we think Elijah Moore is after year two, which is a matter of reasonable dispute. Um, I think we could make an argument, you know, Corey Davis at the very least a professional wide receiver. I think we can make an argument. Garrett Wilson probably these three has, has the most to deal with in terms of target competition. Uh, I mean, Chris Olave certainly did provide more explosive plays than Drake London. He did provide more fantasy points that were usable this year than Drake London, but from a target competition perspective, like his was not, any better than Drake London's. It's probably worse. At least London had to deal with Pitts for half the year. Uh, Alave was dealing with Thomas for two games. Jarvis Landry was injured slash washed almost immediately into the season after he started with a couple of decent games. It, it was Alave, Rashid Shahid. Um, I'm not even sure I can actually name another Saints wide receiver. I'm trying. <laughs> Traquan Smith was still there. Oh, Marcus yeah, Calloway. Yeah, the third round yeah. that everyone loved a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was bad. So that wasn't really a different um, factor there that, where you could hold that against London and not Olave. I, I will make. So I was playing Devil's Advocate before, but I'm quite um, in on Drake London as well. I'm. I honestly don't really actually have much of an opinion between these three as to who I like the most. I think that they all seem fantastic, and I don't have like a strong lean. The guy I'm most in at cost just by virtue of that ends up being London because he's typically the guy who goes cheapest of the three of them. Um, what I think is really important to understand about Drake London is that I think people will hear that list of all these elite wide receivers and they'll hear Kelvin, Kelvin Benjamin who sucks. And I think that that will confirm some of their apprehensions about him, which is the idea that he's a slow, unexplosive player 
is he actually even that good? Because sure, he got all this volume, but he didn't turn it into any production. You know, they didn't throw the ball very much. What if he was just a function of this crappy offense and that volume's not sustainable? He's never going to produce efficiently. I, I think that it's worth noting Calvin Benjamin had a 73 PFF grade as a rookie, which is like totally fine. It's not terrible. It's not great. It's just like an average, um, maybe an average to good rookie PFF grade. Uh, Drake London was elite. Drake London was. Uh, up over 80, easily cleared up over 80. I believe it was 83. Um, it was 85.3, but who's killing? It was 85. Okay. Uh, so him, Garrett Wilson, and Chris Olave all clear the magical 80 PFF grade threshold in their rookie years. Drake London uh, was phenomenal from PFF's point of view. So I don't think this was a matter of, and, and by the way, like PFF grades don't, like they certainly correlate with target share to an extent, obviously, because target share is a measure of who's good, but they don't like perfectly correlate with target share where it's like every single player who earns a million targets is going to have a fantastic PFF grade. For example, um, our great pal, Deontay Johnson, uh, noted target earner, noted inefficient target earner. He was down at 69 this year, right? So PFF looks at Deontay Johnson, they say, yeah, you weren't so great. They look at Drake London and they say, you were awesome. You were one of the best rookies that we've graded. Uh, so I think that there is no concern about Drake London's talent, personally. Uh, is he going to be an explosive playmaker? You know, I don't really think so. But I don't think that we learned anything about him negatively in his rookie year that we didn't already know based on his college profile. And if anything, it just seems like he's going to hit the ceiling of what he's capable of. And Atlanta just seems to throw the second ball. Yeah. Yeah, so Drake London at a 85.3 PFF grade, which is seventh all-time in rookie PFF grade. So, like, not bad. You got guys like Odell Beckham Jr., Justin Jefferson, Terry McLaurin, Percy Harvin, Michael Thomas, uh, Garrett Wilson right there as well. Good good for him. Jamar Chase after and, – and then and Drake London after Garrett Wilson. Uh, there, Garrett Wilson was 85.9. Drake London was 85.3. And then Jamar Chase was only at 84, Mike Evans only at 84, Antonio Brown only at 83.9, but that was on basically no targets, so it doesn't really count, but it also is kind of exciting. Uh, Keenan Allen, 83.4, A.J. Brown, 83.0, Chris Olave, 82.7, Demarius Thomas, Marcus Colston, Dwayne Bowe, Brandon Ayuk, Tyreek Hill, Doug Baldwin, Chris Godwin, Amaron. Amon Ross, St. Brown. These are all superstar wide receivers. We want all of these guys. Right, like at the very least, you're going to get like, and this is where you see Olave here and and Wilson and London. I mean, you're paying for it, especially with Garrett Wilson. Like you're paying all the way up at wide receiver seven, but with like Olave and London at wide receiver 11, wide receiver 14. I mean, these are two of the biggest buys to me because you look at this group, right? And like the absolute worst among them to this point, and some of them the book is not yet written fully on their careers, but like the worst among these players, we're talking about like Brandon Ayuk, Terry McLaurin, Doug Baldwin, Dwayne Bowe, guys who have been like entirely consistent, good football players who aren't winning you leagues, but like they're still carrying value for you in dynasty leagues. They're still in your starting lineups. And the best are obviously just eternal superstars. So like to me, that really is the range of outcomes for all three of these guys. It's like at the best. They are absolute superstars at the worst. They're very good football players. Um, and, you know, taking London as a high-end wide receiver two in Dynasty, Olave as a back-end wide receiver one, like, it's it's mostly all upside. And the floor is just so, so high. So I'm, I'm really interested. And, and, like, Doug Baldwin, who you're being like, this is, like, a worst-case scenario, had two top 12 seasons. Right. Like, yeah. like it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. No, Dwayne Bowl only had one. But that's a top 12 season. He had a top 12 season. Like, these guys are all basically really, really good. 
let's let's talk about the other two a little bit more and what like so maybe where we would disagree i like london you know pretty much just as much as you like london i think that you're maybe a little lower on Malave than i am um do, do you have any on Alave? well well your answer was your your pick if you could pick any of the three was london my answer would be all of them i don't know i'm just copying out i feel basically the same i i think like I'll give you my vibes take. I mean, my vibes take alone is that Garrett Wilson, in my opinion, is the most dynamic of the three. I, I just think from like a ceiling perspective, from like a watching them perspective, he's the guy who moves most special. Um, he's the guy who I think will demand the most defensive attention and the most unique deployment. If I was to bet my life on which one of these guys is going to be like the wide receiver one overall in fantasy, that's probably my pick. But I don't really have like any numerical reason to back that up. As him which being, guy was this? better than the other two. Garrett Wilson is, is would be oh, like yeah. my pick. I, but I think that the market is like, whatever vibes that I'm picking up on, like I'm not the only one picking up on these vibes. Like there's a reason why he separated himself from the other two. And it's not a statistical reason. Like if, if anything, like statistically, he's probably the third of the three. Um, so I, I think that the market is fully baked in those vibes to the point where I'm not buying him at a higher rate than the other two. And in fact, like if someone wants to pay me like a second round pick in any year to convert Garrett Wilson to either Olave or London, that, that's a pretty easy... Yes, for me. Yeah, I think that I, like Garrett Wilson would be my number two for sure. I think Olave, like, I feel like I get a lot of flack for not loving Olave, and it's not that I don't like. I've Olave right now ranked as like a must buy. Like, I don't dislike Olave at his cost. I just like the other guys better. But uh, one of the things that I think kind of gets overlooked sometimes is because I put these players into these like. What do you call it? Like, like I give them prospect grades, right? Like, there's bulletproof and coin flip and and long shot and so on and so forth. But even within those prospect grades, like, there's still room for analysis that, like, not every coin flip is the same coin flip, and not every. And that now we're looking at the sophomore comps. It's like, well, not every sophomore comp that has really good sophomore comps is the same. Like, there's there's still other factors that we aren't exactly capturing. One of them with Chris Olave is that he's a senior. The other two guys are first time eligible declares and i don't think that matters a whole lot at this point because i think chris lobby did enough in his rookie year that i'm i'm like fine with whatever uh but i also am like if i gotta pick between the three i'm just gonna pick the one that doesn't have that that red flag even though it's like fairly minor at this point given that we've seen other players do what chris lobby has done that are also first time early declares and uh and, and like we should have confidence that it's gonna happen but when you look at the the whole arc, then it's like, well, actually, no, I, I do like the other guys better. It's the same thing with like draft capital. Like draft capital, we have profile eraser draft capital guys like Amon Ross St. Brown last year. Right. We would not have valued Amon Ross St. Brown. Now we do, but coming off of only his rookie season, we would not have valued Amon Ross St. Brown as highly as we valued these three wide receivers. Exactly. Like he he, he did everything that these guys did as a rookie. But there's that red flag being like, well, this guy's a fourth guy, fourth round pick. Like, there's some, there's a shadow of a doubt here. Whereas these other guys are all like high first round picks. It's like, well, there's, er, like, if we're gonna nitpick here, we're gonna nitpick, and it's gonna be nits. It's not gonna be like, yeah. whoa. Yeah, I, I mean, we talked a lot on a, on a previous episode, like a lot. So we don't need to go all the way back into it about like how much we should still hold Chris Olave's declare status against him. And, you know, people want to listen back. I can't remember the exact name of that episode, but it was in one of our in-season episodes. And I'm in a case of why I think that it's not as worth holding against them at this point. Um, 
Drew felt that it was. I mean, I do agree. He was a wide receiver three agree. at that time. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that his market price kind of came down for no like particularly good reason. I don't really know why. Belave? Um Yeah. Yeah, his price came way down. Yeah. Now I, I love it. I don't really understand why. Um, like, he wasn't as good towards the end of the season, but I don't know. Does that really... I don't know. People do weird things at the market. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think that after um, maybe this is my most substantive take, right? So we have obviously Chase and Jefferson kind of get their own tier. Um, I think CD Lamb, just based off of what he was able to do as a target dominator, his age, and that he already has the quarterback situation locked in for the foreseeable future with Dak. Like I think he can separate from the rest of this pack. I think that A.J. Brown is a step ahead of the rest of these guys from a skill perspective, but he's a little bit older, and he does have the uh, – I mean, Hurts is a great quarterback, uh, but we're not going to get the volume ceiling that like a Dak Prescott offense necessarily has. But I think you can kind of take that one either way. But in terms of looking at these three guys as they're intermingled with the Waddles and Higginses and Amon Ross St. Browns of Dynasty World, like I like all three of these guys better than any of those other wide receivers because i think like fr frankly part of it is just sample size and i think the negative sample size works against them you look at all of the sample size of these of wide receivers who've had rookie seasons like this the four is extraordinarily high so i don't really see there being a whole lot of downside risk here in any of these profiles and then you look at it and it's like well what do i think is more likely you know, in terms of a guy who's going to be a perennial 20 point per game score, betting on the young guy, betting on like the one who was just a rookie, or betting on the guy we've seen two years of data or three years of data on, right? And I would just go with the one with the least amount of data, right? Like, I don't think that T. Higgins is ever going to be a perennial 30% target share, 20 points per game guy. I don't say I would think that any of these three are going to be a perennial 20 points per game player either, because I don't think that about any player until they are. But I think it's more likely. Right. It's just it's more likely because we haven't seen as much. Right. And so I think that these are the guys that, you know, if there's any wide receivers that I'm taking the start up, um, it probably is these guys. It's probably not Wilson only because he always goes first. <laughs> and I would just rather pay a round and a half less for a lobby in London. But when I put up my startup meta, it was like probably the only wide receivers that I'm actively targeting in the first four rounds are either like whoever is the last of the elite veteran producers, like whoever goes last out of like Cup, Diggs, Adams, Tyreek Hill, that kind of crew, or Olave and Drake London, um, and, and especially Drake London being whoever kind of goes last. Makes sense. The uh, yeah, like if you look at let, let me let me let me just tell you the sophomore comps for like Garrett Wilson and Drake London. Like Drake London doesn't really have any sophomore comps because his season was so bizarre. Like you don't. You never have an 85 uh, PFF grade when you also only score 10.5 points per game because the Falcons had historically low if, pass volume. Imagine if you also had a target earning um, column in your sophomore comps. Like, what a bizarro season, right? 29% target share. The most ridiculous thing ever. 85 PFF grade. Um, yards for rut run uh, near two. And... Uh, he lines up with 10 points for game. There's never been there's probably never been a receiver season like that. Never mind Ricky. I doubt it. Like there it just doesn't happen. Like you like it 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 cannot be explained how low the Atlanta Falcons pass volume was. Like it was it was like less than Lamar Jackson. It was slightly more than Justin Fields, but less right. than Lamar Jackson. Yeah, like the the 2020 
two Atlanta Falcons like will break any sort of comp mechanism. And and yeah, I looked up two point zero seven yards per route run, so even better than Eistedt. Um, I, I have. I was working off a slightly old piece of data and he finished so strong that his like last game that I didn't have input it actually made a pretty material difference. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll never see a 29% target share and an over two yards per route run turn into less points per game ever for the rest of your life. I promise you. Yeah. But like I, I ran it a whole bunch of different ways to kind of like expand it, but it's not like true comps because he just literally doesn't have any true comps because there's there's nothing like this in in the history of my process. Uh, Garrett Wilson's comps are like exactly what you would expect. AJ Brown, Percy Harvin, Dwayne Bow, Terry McLaurin. Just a bunch of dudes that are real good at football. Interestingly, none of them have had a top 24 or top five season yet. But uh, I don't think that is really telling us anything. I think that's just, it's hard to have top five seasons. So, I mean, yeah. I also, I mean, like, eight. I'm always going to cape for my boy. AJ Brown is more than good enough to have had multiple top five seasons at this point. I mean, it hasn't worked out, was, but I mean, if you look at any sort of like just wide receiver independent metrics, guys, like if AJ Brown was enough. that good, the offensive coordinator, the quarterback should have said, let's just pass more. <laughs> It'd be nice. I mean, they passed fine. He's fucking scrambling. All right, let's move on to this next group. <laughs> okay, um, no, no, wait. I'm going to say Chris Olave's because they're pretty special. You ready? Oh, yeah. So we got Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup, Keenan Allen, Stephon Diggs, AJ Brown, Percy Harvin, Dwayne Botigans, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Terry McLaurin, Garrett Wilson. Like you just simply need to have this guy on your team. Why are why are Olave's um, comps like so substantially better than Garrett Wilson's? Because uh, his was more in line with other players. Like Ola Wilson only has like four players. Olave has way more. What do you, what do you think is like the cause of that? Like why? Why is it? Because their stats are pretty similar. Oh, I wonder if I ran Chris Olave's with uh, day three players. That might be why. No, but you, you, in, you, but you also brought in like yeah, but you brought in like T Higgins. You brought, you have a lot of guys, and you had Terry. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's because uh, Garrett Wilson's PFF grade's too high. But it's okay. I see. So he's just too good. He was too, too good. good. So all these guys that were too good. This is why this is why it's like an imperfect science, right? Like you can't look at Garrett Wilson's and be like, oh, actually, he's not that good because he was just better than all the players that were actually really good. Right. I see. Uh, that would be dumb. So we just take them all. Like he even in in anything like this, you have to take it with the context of like what's going into it. And when you look at Garrett Wilson in each individual metric, he's incredible. Which is why right. we love him. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. So, you have anything else to say about these guys? Like, should we just no? I don't. Just poor, poor AJ Brown has a wide receiver six finish and a wide receiver seven finish. That wide receiver five finish still yeah, does well, elude him. He's just not that good. Like, if he was better, he would be better. You know, he's never even sniffed twenty points per game before. Never even. He's, he's 17.7, topped out. He, just, he deserves better. He deserves better. That's mostly Vrabel's fault. I blame Vrabel. So. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about this next group. So I No, think... let's not. Let's not because we need to do the ad read. Oh, that's true. I'm going to do the ad read because Jacob just bombed it last time. We got comments in the Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Bulletproof FF. Let Jacob know how terrible he was at ad reads. And now I have to do it again. 
So last time I read the ad read, I read all the wrong things. This time I'm going to do it right. It's going to be great. Here we go. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000. If it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, the same game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props. Your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. The promo code TPPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, yeah, that's the ad. That was so incredible. Leave, leave us a review. Go to, go to iTunes or whatever. Leave us a review about how great our ad read was this time. Make fun of our last ad read. It's great. Love you. Anyway, let's let's carry on. Let's talk about some more wide receivers. So let's get into the crew that I think is more interesting, frankly, because the top crew, um, they're all great, and we should all have them. And The top crew is just a bunch of check marks, right, and, and, I, and then now the next one, not so much. And other than Garrett Wilson, you can't even say the thing that we normally say with wide receivers that are good, where we're normally like, oh, like this wide receiver is so great, but he's like kind of too expensive, and we could sell him for whatever. Like The other two like are actually just cheaper, so that's fine. Great um, prices. Yeah. So anyhow... Um, this next crew, I think, is much more interesting because I think there's a there's there's there. Each of them has at least one nit that you can legitimately pick, right? Like an, an actual nit. We're not talking about like oh, if you really squint and you see like the tiniest little is it a pimple or is it just like a mark on your computer screen? Like no, there's there's legitimate like reasons for concern with each of these, and there's also I think reasons for optimism for each of these. So. I'm going to talk about Christian Watson, Jamison Williams, Traylon Burks, George Pickens, Jahan Dotson. If you are looking at ADP, you might think, how is this a tier? Because, for instance, ADP right now has those at 17, 20, 22, 23, and 29, respectively. And you'll be like, there's way more separating these guys than Christian Watson and Drake London. I would encourage you, you know, to think about this type of scenario when you're going into your startups, where if people are looking at these picks you know, as just a linear rank, try to make these types of trades where you're getting up from this part of the draft where you get a very large cluster up into that three, four turn area where you're able to get a lave in London and to illustrate that on the website Fantasy Calc, there was a 1200 point gap from Drake London to George Pickens. And on Fantasy Calc, George Pickens is the highest ranked of this tier, unlike in ADP where it's Christian Watson. Pickens, top of this tier on Fantasy Calc, all the way down to Dotson, is just a 700-point gap. So they're, despite a 15-spot ADP rank gap versus three, there is a smaller, considerably smaller point gap between all of these players than there is on Fantasy Calc. So point being, if you're in a draft and nobody's made any picks yet and people aren't thinking about tiers very smartly try and use these round five six picks to trade up into early round four stack it with something else go get yourself a lave or london but if you happen to not be able to do that which of these five you know and we can say at cost if you want but the cost is similar enough especially excluding dotson um are you moving the most heaven and earth to go and get on your dynasty team so I think Watson is the best uh, player or the best 
future per se. However, I don't really want Christian Watson if Aaron Rodgers is going to be there. I, like, I don't really want Christian Watson with Jordan Love. Like, I think that Jordan Love could be driving the bus in like directly off the cliff. We could be having the worst offense in football. And if that's the case, I don't have a whole lot of hope for Christian Watson in the short term. Long term, I think he's going to be fine. Like He's a really good player. In the short term, the guy I'm probably most interested in is actually Traylon Burks because I think he's really good and I don't think he's overly expensive. And I think there's a chance Ryan Tannehill remains in Tennessee. And I think if Ryan Tannehill remains in Tennessee, I think that uh, there's a chance that Derrick Henry finally succumbs to father time and we get a little bit more pass volume. Not a lot, but a little bit. Enough to make Traylon Burks a like high-end wide receiver too. And I think if Christian Watson, on the other hand, I don't even think he's going to be a wide receiver too if Jordan Love is the quarterback. And I think that's a greater than 50% chance. So Traylon Burks is my dude. I actually was famously wrong on Traylon Burks. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show or not. Have we talked about it on the show? How I was wrong with Traylon Burks? I don't remember. I'm not we'll sure if we've talked about it. I'm not sure. Let's talk about it. So I used to use this thing called early declare. Makes sense, right? Early declare. If you declare and you still have eligibility remaining in college, I called you an early declare. And then people were yelling at me, like, hey, you're, you're an idiot. This is clearly wrong. And it was wrong. What actually people are using to make it like work better, like early declare works, just not as well as it could. If you use first time eligible declare, it changes everything. If you if a player goes from high school to the NFL in three years, regardless have, of their age, we had an argument in like January. We literally had oh, the yeah. exact argument in January. I had this argument with like everyone because everyone was like, oh no, like early declare. I'm like, I have no, 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 no. We had this argument in January, and I said you're using early declare wrong. You should use years out of high school set to three. Yeah. Well, great, great job, <laughs> great job. Not convincing me at the time. Really, I just didn't have it in my database, and uh, now I do. It's great. Hey, you just don't listen to me. You just you just talk ah. past me, and then you and you find it out later. Okay, anyway, it's continue. mostly just because like you have this track record of picking like I don't know the Philadelphia Eagles to win the fucking Super Bowl. You expect me to just trust you? <laughs> Anyways, I was famously wrong with Trey Burks. I apologize to the masses. Uh, when I when I fixed it and used three-year eligible declare for like first-time eligible declare Traylon Burks sophomore comps go from like completely mediocre to completely incredible now we have DeAndre Hopkins and Calvin Johnson and Tyler Lockett and Kenny Britt and Sidney Rice and Centennial Holmes and DJ Moore and Christian Kirk Christian Kirk who nearly had a top 12 season by the way uh Devin Funches Marquise Brown all of these guys have hit there is one blemish on the Traylon Burks sophomore comps list it is Ruben Randall who did not hit and is unlikely to hit in the future, considering he was drafted in 2012 and he doesn't play in the NFL in a great many years. So basically, we're looking at a really, 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 really high probability of hitting for Traylon Burks from a historical comps perspective. Therefore, I am really liking the Traylon Burks, and I think there's, like I said, a chance that Derrick Henry breaks down and Ryan Tannehill stays put, and we get like, you know, 32 pass attempts per game, which is going to be enough to propel Traylon Burks assuming, of course, that he is good, into a high-end wide receiver two finish. Conversely, the sophomore comps for Christian Watson are freaking incredible. 
but I'm terrified of the Jordan Love scenario, and I just it's just gonna be a hard. Pass. And, and he's like a he's like a going a full round earlier than Trey Lundberg, so ah, give me Trey Love. Well, it depends where you look. Up on up on Fantasy Calc World, they have Christian Watson behind Traylon Burks, but in ADP, Christian Watson goes ahead. One thing that I, I would say about this, um, maybe when the Jordan Love thing is confirmed, this will change. I think if we're forecasting August ADP, I think that this gap will continue to widen because you look at underdog drafts. Did I say underdog? Underdog drafts right now. Uh, Traylon Burks is currently a round 7-8 turn pick. His ADP is 83. Christian Watson is going at the 4-5 turn. His ADP is 47. So that's a pretty substantial gap in how the markets are treating these two going into next year. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that can change. Uh, the NFL draft, uh, what happens to Tannehill, what happens to Rodgers. You know, maybe that doesn't hold. But if, if that's how the market's perceiving it right now, it is actually surprising to me that the gap is this wide. Um, I suppose some of that could be owing to the fact, you know, quite fairly, that the market in general perceived of Traylon Burks as a much better prospect than Christian Watson. But I still think it's notable that there's that level of gap. Um, I am, I think, slightly on the opposite side. I, I want you to really try to expand your imagination. Um, and just walk with me down this vibes train for a second, okay? So I've, I've been like, I would argue, I've possibly been like conflicted about Traylon Burks, honestly, like since February. Like I, I was, like I've never been, had like a particularly settled opinion where I've been like, we're in on Burks, we're like, we're out on Burks. Like I've always been kind of like a little fancy fencerton where I was like, yeah, he's good, but people are a little bit too high on him. And then I was like, no, I like Traylon Burks, but I like Garrett Wilson more. Um, and then the season, I was like, yeah, no, I, I like Burks. And then I was like, eh. And I'm kind of still there now. Um, here's, here's okay, the upside you articulated, right? Sophomore comps like, great. I'll run through some of the metrics. Um, he's 74.7 PFF grade. That's not, like, certainly not as good as his top three. It's also definitely not bad. Um, only 254 reps. We're working with a pretty limited sample. 1.75 yards per run. Again, good, not legendary. 0. 0.209 targets per run. Good, not legendary. 0. 0.176 target share. Good, not incredible. So it's like, if he was just a little bit better, vibes to the side. Here's my concern, right? I like to think about, you know, what information do we learn with these rookies? How did we think about them going in, right? You talked about this with Chris Olave before, about viewing the prospects holistically. I think we should view the context holistically too, in terms of what were the concerns we had about this player, what were the priors we had about this player, and to what elements of their profile did they disprove or prove. With Burks, you know, it was, what were the questions that we had coming into his rookie year? One was, is he actually athletic? Because we all thought he was really athletic. And then at the combine, he was like kind of athletic. And then two, it was, is this guy a wide receiver or is he like a gadgety player, right? Is this guy actually have the technical skill to play wide receiver? And then what we saw over the course of the year was, you know, a guy who didn't play a full route share initially ended up working his way up, was efficient-ish, but a lot of his production came on you know, not particularly developed or technical routes. He was running a lot of drag routes. He was getting some screens. He was getting some manufactured stuff. He didn't really show off that developed of a technical skill set, and he never was really that prolonged of a full-time player. And this is like a vibesy take, but 
I just never thought that he looked particularly sudden or dynamic or explosive. Like I thought that he looked pretty languid when he was out there moving. Like I never really got the feeling that when he got the ball, I was like, oh, this guy's going to take it to the house. Like it just felt like he was kind of running until he got tackled. And I guess my concern was is like how much of his rookie year in terms of the targets that he earned, the production that he was able to put up, how he was deployed, was just indicative of confirming the things that he was already good at and them using him that way on an offense that was entirely devoid of playmakers. And like, does this guy actually have the toolbox to be a difference maker? Or does he just have a statistical profile that resembles guys who are, which was kind of the concern that we had about his college prospect profile coming in. And I just have some lingering fear about Burks. Um, with Christian Watson, I'll let you respond to that in a second. With Christian Watson, like, he is also very raw. And he also ran a pretty limited sample of routes. He was running a lot of jet sweeps. He was running a lot of drags. He was running a lot of go routes. But he looked freaking explosive as hell. And he was one of the most efficient rookie wide receivers we have. And that was a guy where I was like, all right, can this guy develop the technical skill to be an all-around wide receiver? I don't know. But would I still make sure to run a big portion of my offense for getting this guy the ball in space and throwing him deep routes? Like, no matter what, yes. With Burks, I could just see him getting displaced a little bit more easily because he was so reliant on being a focal point in terms of getting the ball in his hands, but he didn't do so much with the ball in his hands that makes me confident that they're going to continue to run their offense that way. Does this mean anything to you? Do you share any of these fears, or do you just live in a spreadsheet? Uh, I obviously live in a spreadsheet. And I don't really care about wide receiver athleticism. I think that there's just different ways to win at the wide receiver position. We see unathletic players be very, very productive all the time. Of course, but does Burks win those ways? That's like I'm not sure that he does wins the ways that unathletic. I think it matters because I'm not sure, like there are unathletic technicians that win in the NFL, and there are raw athletes that win in the NFL. But Traylon Burks is not a technician, and I'm not so sure he's an athlete. Is it is it his open score like one of the highest in in football? I mean, I'm not particularly concerned with his open score. I'm very, I'll tell you this. He is he is a guy that I'm very, very interested to see what Matt Harmon thinks. Because Matt Harmon was not a fan of him coming out of college in terms of his reception perception. And if if, if Matt's more impressed with what he was able to put down in rookie year, I, I will, like, my vibe score will go up. Like, I don't put a ton of weight on what he says for everybody. But Burks is a guy that I, I would care quite a bit. Like, because his open score, like in terms of how open he is, he's probably open a lot. I mean, he's running a lot of drags where they're just like running pick routes for him and he's coming out with nobody defending him in his zone. Yeah, I, I honestly don't have a take on open score. I've known nothing. I've never, I have no database involving open score whatsoever. I was just uh, confirming my priors that he's really good. <laughs> my new priors. Uh, but yeah, no, like, I guess, sure. Like if, How about if just, just like, okay, if you don't care about the context, like just in theory, like does any of this stuff like map on, like, do you, do you have like a room in your heart for context? <laughs> is there a room in your heart for that? I mean, there's a room in my heart for context, but at the end of the day, if he's going to get a 17.6% target share and then all the other guys that got a 17.6% target share were good then I don't really care that he has 17.6% target share. If we're saying that we can go back in time and you know have vibes on everyone's uh, suddenness and breaks in the routes and whatnot, then you know I get yeah sure if you can show me that it matters I'm I'm into it. I just we don't have that. So then it's just like you know wh like what is this different than like film grinding? 
like it is film grinding. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think that it's, I think that it's important to contextualize data. Like, and I, and I think that it's hard to, I don't think that we should view every player outside of the larger probabilistic picture that we paint by numbers and we paint by having groups and having trends. I think that that's important. But I also think that there's a degree to which we have to view each player as their own little flower and understand that the groups with which they're being associated are just a reflection of other likes. They're not actually necessary, necessarily you know, predict, direct predictors of this player's success. And I think that it's a balancing act. I think that if, if the entire take was, I watched Burks run some routes and I think he's bad, that would be a horrific take. And I think that you know, just playing the averages is a better take than that. But I personally think that there's some room for exploring things a little bit further. I mean, I'm I'm not out on Burks in the sense that I'm having a fire sale. I just I have a little bit of lingering fear with him that I don't have with Christian Watson. That's all. And yeah. I, and I view this as a place where I can make this pivot pretty cheaply for a guy that I think has a pretty similar numerical profile, without some of the vibesy film context concerns. So like PFF watches every play and PFF says Christian Watson had a 77.8 PFF grade. And then they watched every play of Traylon Burks and they said he had a 73.9. And I'm sitting here looking at that and being like, those are pretty good rookie scores. Th those aren't bad at all. And then again, I'm looking at, well, how did he produce on that? Like on a per play basis, he was film scouted at this grade on a per play basis, he was targeted at this rate by his NFL team. He was scoring points at this rate. And at the end of the day, like if all the what, other guys that did that, they're what do these stats tell you, right? Like what, what does a PFF grade actually tell you? Tells me that somebody watched him play football and said that he was in a well above average rookie. But what, wide receiver. Did, but what, did, what did they watch? What do you mean? What did they watch? They watched him right. play football. Okay. What's something that you're, particularly good at um i would have said making nachos but luke sawhook already beat me to that one so that's fine okay making not okay let's just use cooking <laughs> so you can make good nachos what's something you cannot cook uh rice you can't cook rice it's not that hard you boil water you add the rice it never tastes as good as it does in the restaurants i don't know Okay, that's embarrassing, but anyhow. Okay, so hard to make good rice. You kidding me? Hard to make good rice. You just boil <laughs> water. Okay. Okay, so you, you can make nachos, you can't make rice. Okay. So if I asked you to make, you know, if I asked you to make ten plates of nachos and then I graded you on those nachos, and I called that chef grading, you know, you'd probably have a pretty good rating. So and what you're telling I me call that and it, but if I asked you to make ten pots of rice your chef grade would probably be a lot lower because apparently you just can't make rice. I'm, I'm just saying like Traylon Burks to me is he's on, I'm going to make, I'm going to coin a new term right now. It's called the Liam Neeson spectrum. Okay. Liam Neeson is a particular set of skills. 
And Traylon Burke scores highly on the Liam Neeson spectrum, right? The, look at DeAndre Swift as a great example of this. He's a guy who PFF was like, oh my God, this guy's so good in 2022. Why? Because he was used according to his particular set of skills. Traylon Burks is a guy who has a particular set of skills. He was used towards them. And so I think that he reflects highly because he was doing the things that he was good at. I'm not saying he can't also be good at other things, but I have a higher level of concern regarding his ability to expand beyond his particular set of skills than I do about some other wide receivers. So, but like Christian Watson, is he not have a particular set of I think skills? that he is a Liam Neeson. I, I, he is high on the Liam Neeson index, but he is Liam Neeson. Like he has a particular set of skills and he is the best of that particular set of skills. <laughs> He's not though. He only scored a 77.8. He didn't even hit 80. Drake London had 85. Well, London scores low on the Liam Neeson. He has a broad set of skills. He's not on the Liam Neeson spectrum. That's what do you mean he has a broad set of skills? He, he hit 85 across the board is what you're saying? I mean, I think London can run every round in the buck. Like he's just a better player yeah, of than both of these guys. Like I'm not, I'm not worried about him. Like from like London Wilson and Olave operate on a different plane than Watson and Burks. Like these are not guys where I'm like, oh, they're good at some things. Can they add other things? Like those guys are already just great NFL wide receivers. Like Burks and, and Watson. Like that's why they're in this tier. They're not like I, I mean, they're Dotson. Okay, Dotson would be a guy that I would say is the opposite of these guys, and that I think Dotson can do more things adequately than Traylon Burks. But he can't do a small number of things as well, if that makes sense. Like I think if you ask, like if you if you had Jahan Dotson and Traylon Burks both run the full route tree right now, Jahan Dotson I think is a better NFL player. But you know, luckily that's not actually how real life works, and players get to be used towards their skills to some extent. Coaches aren't totally dummy, and you know I think that because of what Burks brings to the table, he's a more interesting bet to me than Dotson because I think his set of skills is more interesting. Whereas I think Dotson's more that all-around type wide receiver. But I don't know that he's like on the level of an Olave or a Wilson where they're the same type of wide receiver, but he's way better at it. Gotcha. So then my question is, does any of that matter when it comes to scoring fantasy points? If they're just going yeah, to think it his role that he's good at... Because what's the ceiling? Up- right, what's the ceiling? That's my concern. Is like how much better know, what than if, what we saw this year are we going to get? Calvin Johnson run? Okay, Calvin Johnson is like whatever we just said about Christian Watson. Calvin, I mean, we're not comparing these guys to Calvin fucking Johnson. I'm just saying that like Calvin Johnson can only run two fucking routes, and he's can, the best wide receiver in football watch, ever. Watch Traylon Burks and tell me if you see Calvin Johnson. That's what I'm asking. I don't. Like, here's the thing: like, if Traylon Burks, if if Traylon Burks like popped off the screen with like dynamic athleticism, where it was like, okay, this guy's a little limited, but man, he's gonna take it to the house. I wouldn't give a shit. I'd be like, whatever. They're gonna force feed this guy the ball. He was just languid to me. That was a concern. That's all. That's okay. It doesn't it? Maybe it won't matter. I still have Traylon Burks. I'm, I'm not. I'm not shipping him off for parts. So it seems like you just hate Traylon Burks. Your dude. You had him as tier of his own wide receiver one, and now you just hate him. <laughs> what is this? Um, okay. Do we both agree though that Watson and Burks are our favorite two of this five? Yeah. Interestingly, uh, Traylon Burks only has a six point three two RAS score, and Christian Watson has like a nine point nine eight. Right. And, and I'll tell you what, it shows up on the screen. <laughs> Yeah, so it's not surprising <laughs> to me that you're like, oh, Christian Watson looks sudden. He's fast. He's a threat to take it to the house any point in time. I would expect that given the RAS scores. All right. Um, do you have any, like, we, we don't need to go through them all in detail, but do you have any, like, one-liner about Pick and Stotson or Jameson Williams? I, I, I think all of these Absolutely guys, like, not. I think Jameson Williams is rookie to me. It's weird that he's cost more now. Um, I'm not, like, against him because I'm not against, like, anyone that I don't know anything about. Didn't we just I think he's Jameson overpriced. Uh, and then Pickens and Dotson just, like, seem to me, like, 
it's hard for a rookie to be a boring bet, but they're about as close as you can get to me. Like they ran all the routes. They have like 15% target share, 50% targets for outrun. Like I just like they're, they're probably going to improve. That's what rookies do. But like, I just, I, it's a steep mountain for them to improve to enough to like, really pay off their cost it's really not that guys. steep though like we see tons of players with like 15 to 20 percent target shares as rookies that no we can't. This is, no no here, here's the yeah so here's the problem with that there's a lot of reasons why players in that range wind up crushing like we just mentioned with Traylon burks he's a 70 percent target share 21 percent targets per route run one of the reasons why rookies climb in terms of their target share is that they get a lot more routes year one to year two um and jj zacharyson one of the greats had a fantastic stat on a most on a recent podcast with George Pickens, which is, and this would apply to Dotson too, I believe, um, but I'm not 100% sure about that. He said that of all rookie wide receivers, and there were I believe 300 rookie wide receivers since his cutoff. I can't remember exactly what the year the cutoff was that were following this criteria. That both had a 17% target share as a rookie or under. So this isn't like we took Pickens and then went all the way down. It's like it captures Pickens. It captures some people that were better than Pickens and a lot of people that were below. And a 1.5 yards per route run and down, which the same. It's not the arbitrary cutoff. It's some people above Pickens, Pickens, people below. Of all 300 of those, only three of those wide receivers wound up to ever post the 16 points per game or higher season. Those being, of course, the commonly associated with every mediocre wide receiver is their optimal comp, Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and the other one was Alshon Jeffrey. So I think that the odds that this profile is going to all of a sudden grow into a 25% target share earner is being painted as more likely than not when we're just looking at the target share. Like the context is that not only were these guys having you know, fairly averaged, fine target shares, they were maxed out on how many routes they were running. They weren't all that efficient on their routes from a targets per route run or yards per route run perspective in terms of earning volume. So I think that it's a lot steeper for them to climb to that than it would be for a guy who was 22% targets per route run, 1.9 yards per route run, 15% target share. I will only argue this because it's super annoying, but I'm going to go ahead and run the same study, but I'm going to use... 12.5% and go higher. And then I'm going to group them all in together that way. And I'm going to use 1.5 and go up. And I'm going to group them all in that way so that I get all the good players comped in with these players instead of getting all the bad players comped in with Yeah, but that would be a far less useful study. Both of them are useless. We're talking players that put up like zero. Right. Well, the point is, is we're okay. If you want to put a cutoff on below and cut off whatever, who cares? The point is how many players, there's not that many total, like total, total three, right? Like it's not a little percentage. It's like, are, is it likely that we're going to get a guy like this with this profile to be elite? No. It's not. That's, no, that's, that's points per game is pretty high as well. Like that's, that's a wide okay. receiver one. Right. But that's what we want. I mean, these, that's the problem. These guys aren't cheap. If these guys, if we had this profile, if we had this profile at wide receiver 40, then sure, you get paid off by just being good. But like, it's already priced in that these guys are good, which they probably are in an NFL sense. But like, Pickens wide receiver twenty three, Dodson's wide receiver twenty nine. Like, I want more than just a wide receiver two there. If you get a wide receiver two there, it's fine. It's not bad, but it's not great. Like, I want to at least have some decent equity at getting a ticket to wide receiver one land. Sure, yeah, I'm in. I like, yeah. 
I don't have a lot of complaints. I don't think I have Pickens or Dotson as major buys right now, do I? No, I but not. you no, but you push back on on this on the steepness of the hill. It's just it's just the silly way to do. It. Like JJ's better than that. He he. No, he that was it. No, you 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 know better than that. Get out of here. Okay, uh, let's talk about this last year. Um, well, so Wondell Robinson, Alec Pierce, John Mechie, Sky Moore, Romeo Dubs, and if you want to include anybody else that you care about, by all means, they're in this tier. Wondell is the highest these wide receiver 48. This tier extends from wide receiver 48 to 55. They're all tightly packed in within 880p of each other. Obviously, none of these guys are particularly um, high likelihood bets for an elite production ceiling. But if you had to pick one, and I'm almost 100% sure we're going to pick the same one, if you had to pick one to invest in, which normally we don't do a whole lot of investing in wide receivers with around 12 and 1380Ps, but if you had to pick one, who would be your guy? Well, I'd be stunned if we don't have the same answer, by the way. Uh, would you? Oh, yeah, and if we don't, I'll think like significantly less of you, but I think that we would. Okay, so my guy comps to here, here's the sophomore comps. I, I'm not gonna tell you who it is, I'm just gonna tell you the sophomore comps. Oh, okay, well, I'll be able to figure it out. I think it's Calvin Johnson, it's DeAndre Hopkins, it's Tyler Lockett, it's Alshon Jeffries, Kenny Britt, it's Kenny Galladay, it's DJ Moore, it's Marquise Brown, Kendall Wright, Devin Funches, Christian Kirk, Rondell Moore, Ruben Randall, and of course, Wandale Robinson. Yeah, I was gonna say this has to be this is the only answer because all these all, the, all these players were bad and one of them was good, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, right, we talk about you know. If you, if you think about like, especially with any cheap player, um, I always think about what's what's the fewest number of correct assumptions, right? That we need to make, and it's like for any of these other guys, like you need to, you need to stack a bunch of correct bets. I guess Mechie is excluded because uh, Mechie is a whole different situation where he nothing against him in his rookie year, he just got cancer. But um, I didn't really like him as a prospect, so whatever. But even even still, like if you just look at players that missed their first year. Like it's rough. It's yeah, rough. I just I don't know. I just think he, he belongs to be in a different conversation than the other three. But like the other three played and, and they were I don't know, Pierce and Romeo were like fine, and then Sky was bad slash didn't play much, which is either two different things or the same thing. I, I don't whatever. Point was these guys like didn't do anything inspiring in their first NFL season. Um Waddell just got hurt. <laughs> he was he was like fully tracking to be uh, a hit and then he shredded his ACL. So like all we needed of Wandale is he gets healthy and he plays good after he's healthy and this doesn't wind up getting him like replaced, which I mean, all those things are risks. That's why he's valued here. But all we really, the only issue is health. You know, all these other guys, it's like we need them to actually be way better than so far they've presented themselves to be. So it's Wandale. I, I think Wandale's a priority buy, actually. You don't get an opportunity to buy your two wide receivers with this strong of uh underlying peripherals for this cheap very often you only do basically when they get injured and you stack that on with them being too short and everybody hating them too much in the first place um only 129 routes which is obviously a tiny sample but in that sample 0.232 targets per run that's fantastic 0.196 target share so he was actually running a lot of routes despite being a small boy 1.76 yards per run i mean he was good he was like legitimately good when he was on the field yeah no wandale's easily the the only guy in in here that I'm super excited about. There's, uh, yeah, the other guys are hard pass. Like Romeo Dubs started strong and then just like completely cratered. Yeah, and I mean, he didn't even really start strong. He started strong in the sense that like it was awesome that he was playing every snap, which was surprising because he was a day three pick, but he was not doing a whole lot with the snaps and then he got less snaps, which makes sense. 
yeah, no, it's yeah, Romeo is just like yeah, hard pass. Wandell's the only guy I want out of this list. I, I like I would be fine. Like if if you have a really stacked team, I would be fine going and get some Sky more at this point. Yeah, price. I'm fine with Sky for Chief just because he and, plays in the uh, Chiefs and, and he didn't know, just play that much. Let it ride. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. I definitely like Sky more than Dubs and Pierce, just from like a pure he plays in the Chiefs, shoot for the moon, maybe you'll end yeah. among the stars, like theory. Yeah. Um but I, I I don't I can't like say that I expect him to be good at this point. No, 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 no. This is far from an expectation. And I would never do this unless I was like completely fine burning whatever this roster value is on fire, which at 1309, I'd probably be fine with burning it on fire, lighting it on fire, and just, meh. It was fun while it lasted. Yeah. I mean, I just like, on the unlikely event that Skymore does hit, I will not be caught dead saying that I was out on him. So uh, we're, we're tumbling down by Sky every single week. <laughs> Uh, hilarious. Okay. Uh, any other closing thoughts? We actually did an hour this time. What up, Matt? Yeah, you're welcome, Matt. Should we should we say a quick in memoriam for Bulletproof favorite David Bell? Should we? Oh man. Oh man. So like, there's something like if you're playing Devi, which you should, because Devi's awesome. By the way, if if you're not playing Devi, you should consider it. It's one of the. It's in my opinion, it's the most fun format to play in because it. Like I get the appeal of Campus the Can, but I think in Campus the Can, if you don't know what that is, you you literally have a college oh, fantasy favorite. football team my favorite and format. an NFL fantasy football team playing concurrently, yeah. and I think that's just a bridge too far for a lot of people. Like you, you really need to know college football to play in that. I think anyway, I don't play in it, so I could be wrong. Yeah, I do, and it's my favorite format by far. I I think it's absolutely electric. First of all, because you something to root for on your Saturdays, and and I think what makes Campus the Canton the most fun is like. What people love about Dynasty fundamentally, I think, is the uh, double economy of Dynasty, right? You have the production economy and you have the value economy and you're constantly making trade-offs of like, do I want to trade for Travis Kelsey and get a lot of points or do I want to trade for a first-round pick and get future value? And like, that's what's so integral to Campus to Canton is you're like, do I value this, you know, freshman wide receiver in Alabama who's not going to play, but he might be an NFL player one day or do I want to get this like, 22 year old running back from the Sun Belt who is never going to sniff an NFL roster, but he's going to average 20 points per game this year. Like, that's like, so, you know, so I love yeah. Campus Can, but you were saying about Debbie. Anyways, so I don't play Campus Can because I'm not hardcore enough with college football. Uh, I, I like Debbie though because I feel like it's kind of like the happy medium where it's deeper than college or it's deeper than Dynasty because you're now rostering college players. Anyway, where, where this all goes off the rails is when you're when you're playing Debbie, you can you can draw like conclusions about players before we have like the final assignment, if you will. Uh, you don't take the final test until you get the NFL draft. And with David Bell, he was not a first or second round pick, and then he fell to the third round, and then it was so sad. And and we still we like we still kept the candle burning. And I, I don't regret the the ranking of David Moore at all, like or uh, David Bell at all. I think that was right where you wanted to have him ranked, but it just doesn't work out, and it hurts more. Is where I'm going with this. You're playing in Devi, and the guy that you've been like, you know, rostering for two years before he even gets to the NFL, and then it's like the NFL draft. And you're like, oh yeah, like this guy's awesome. I've had him for two years on my Devi team. Then he falls around three, and you're like, oh. Like, I don't want to trade him now because I've, I've been hyped about him for two years. I'll be realistic that like things aren't as rosy as I thought they were going to be. 
But then he flunks the rookie year, and it's like, oh my god! Like I've been holding this guy for three years already. <laughs> it's just, it's it's fun. It's sad. It's like the reverse though is amazing. Like you pick up player X, and he like crushes. You, you pick up Drake London, he smashes. He I goes had Drake London on my campus to Canton team. It was fucking sick. Oh, oh you know, you know who I have on my campus to campus team, campus to Canton team that I got after two years of doing straight up nothing, and now he's the consensus RB three in this year's class. Oh my! I, got, I drafted Zach Charbonnet in a campus to Canton startup, uh, coming off of his two years at Michigan, rushing for like zero yards, and I mean, there's no better feeling. Bold strategy. I feel like Camus can I'd just be like guessing 90% of the time. Like how, how would you even pick Zach Charbonnet? Like former high recruit getting a transfer. Like that was, well, that he, was, was the, a, he was a former high recruit going to a Chip Kelly offense. That was it? Like it was it wasn't like he's good because it's obvious that he's good. Well, I was like, like I was I'm I don't yeah, because I was grinding his high school tape. Um people do. You know, I, I was just like he's large. He was a very highly valued recruit. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh makes curious decisions. He's large. <laughs> No, but I mean that matters, right? Like I want, I want the pick. Oh, for sure. Like, like he's bulk outsized. Your campus can like and, and Debbie, like you're making so many, like you're making so many bets with such limited information that there's just no sense in not taking the bets where you're getting maximum payoff on the occasion that you're right. So it's like for if sure. you're gonna if you're gonna wish upon a star, like at least do it with a guy who's probably six feet two twenty, right? So then it's like now I'm like excited. It's like, okay, it's actually right. Where it's like if you like do it on like some like hundred ninety two pound guy, it's like oh great, like. What do you do? You know, <laughs> go go big, right? No, I, I've been, but um, I've been fortunate in campus camp. Like I, I drafted Brock Bowers as a freshman, nice. like bef- like before he ever played a college football game. So we've been rolling, yeah. Um, but uh, no, I think honestly, here's here's like my one take with David Bell. Um, also applies to Sean Tucker. Shout out. Um, when you're playing Debbie, <laughs> or you're playing Dynasty. And especially Debbie, or if you're playing Dynasty and your rookie draft is before the NFL draft. And there's the guy that looks really good on your spreadsheet. And everybody is in like the film community or in the NFL draft community is like, yeah, I don't know if he's good as you think. And you're like, oh, man, this guy's just so undervalued. I just can't wait for my discount on this guy. I just can't wait for the. He might actually just be bad. Like maybe he's good. But he might actually just be bad. Like we just have to like at least build in a higher probability that like we only know half the profile. The other half of the profile is the draft capital, and all of our modeling is only good at providing the context of people who are good once they've been drafted high, right? And like, once David Bell was a round three compensatory pick, like, you know, and this is the other thing that I'll just say too, like, shout out to context, like, like I was drafting David Bell too, so I'm not like fully absolved, but. I think there was like so much people, so many people that loved David Bell were really nervous that he wasn't going to get drafted high. Then he gets day two draft capital, and everybody's like, "Hey, we're back in. We got him. It's all good." It's like, you know, like we probably shouldn't allow a player's like where we're willing to draft a player to shift by like a full round based on whether one team re-signed a linebacker the previous year, which was like basically what happened, right? It's like Cleveland Brown gets a compensatory pick at the very end of round three, happens to use it on David Bell, like. If he had fallen like three more actual picks, probably a third round rookie pick. And like that's just probably inefficient. Like we should probably apply some level of context to 
is this guy, you know, actually good or is this guy a compensatory round three pick who probably should be treated more like a fourth round pick than should be treated like a second round pick? It's funny that you say that because I've had many conversations with people about round four picks being actually he's probably a round three pick, but the draft class was too deep or what have you. Like Almond <laughs> Ross St. Brown last year or Gabriel Davis the year before that. Or I forget who else went in round four recently, but I feel like every year somebody's making an excuse about how somebody only fell to round four because, oh, those those teams at the end of round three just didn't happen to need a wide receiver. It's like, well, if he was actually freaking good, he probably would have went before we got to the compensatory picks in round three, which, to your point, is exactly, I agree. Except, like, I'm not, and I'm not like, saying that he, we should have just said, oh, he's round four pick. I just think we should have some level of like, Little context in the back of my mind that's like, yeah, he's a day two pick, but like he really was close to not being a day two pick. And it's entirely conceivable that no other NFL team viewed him as a day two pick. Like he got pretty darn close. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. He's uh like on it, like he's free right now. And sure. if you're in a startup draft, I would take him wherever he's going drafted. I think it's around like 19 or something. And sure. uh but otherwise, like I'm probably not going on my way to trade for him, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, mean, I, I have no actionable take on. Yeah, I have no actionable take on David Bell now. He costs nothing. I, I just think it's like yeah. an interesting point. Um, and there's, you know, he got the day two capital, so I think he ended up retaining more value. But like, I remember we we've done this so many years. Like, I remember with Tyler Johnson. Like, people were like, you know, I know bettering Tyler Johnson for like years, right? People were like, he was a good prospect, and then it's like he didn't declare early. And then he didn't get drafted high. And then he didn't do anything for two years. People were still like, no, this guy can play. It's like, no, he can't. Right. Like, and you know, we, we should probably <laughs> right. So anyhow, that'll be the show. That was our requiem for David Bell. Talked about all the rookie wide receivers. We'll be back. We'll talk about buying wide receivers on credit, what it means, whether you should be calling your credit card company, ask for a credit limit so you can buy more wide receivers. We'll talk about um, the veteran wide receivers who are buying, who are selling. Um, I'm sure Drew will talk about Gabe Davis at some point. I'll shoehorn that in. Although the patrons in the survey recently said you talked too much about Gabe Davis, so maybe not. Um, but uh, this isn't yeah, the Patreon though, so we're 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 clear. We're good to go. All right, we'll see you next week, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.